Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. I'm the co-founder of Clean Capital and serve as President Obama's Chief Sustainability Officer. On this podcast, we explore solutions to climate change by talking to industry leaders about the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. You can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Hi, my name is John Powers. I'm the president of Clean Capital. Welcome to Clean Capital's webinar, the IRA anniversary, reviewing the one year of clean energy policy, finance, and technology. Our focus today is both the celebration of the IRA, which passed just over a year ago. And we're going to talk about both the opportunities it's creating and some of the challenges, things we need to work on as we celebrate this one year anniversary. Since last August, companies have announced more than $270 billion in planned clean energy projects that are expected to deliver more than 170,000 new jobs here in the US. It's an exciting time for us in the solar and storage industry. Over 150 gigawatts of new solar manufacturing capacity is coming online. We'll hear a lot about that. And 65 gigawatts standalone energy storage manufacturing as well, bringing that domestic manufacturing capability here to the U.S. However, you know, we are facing the hottest consecutive days the world has ever seen this summer. Wildfire smoke has shut down places like New York City and here in Buffalo where I am. You've got record-breaking heat in the southwest. And the waters of Miami are having or have seen earth-shattering climate records, making the ocean there feel like a bathtub. You know, we're, today we're going to dive into some of the successes this monumental climate bill has provided for us, but it really is about the action we take following that legislation. And I really, go to the next slide, please, want to focus on the fact that really for the first time in our history, have we seen the alignment of policy, technology, and finance in a way that we can finally make a generational impact on the climate crisis. The next slide. We're seeing it, the, the public demand uh, and social demands for change being, you know, many folks know the, the social impact that our friend Greta has made driving the cultural efforts to force climate action, but also at the highest levels in, in corporate America. You know, you have Larry Fink, who clearly a few years ago led the way at BlackRock, driving finance in the climate space but you also have corporate leaders committing to things like 100% renewable energy goals and more. The next slide. The public consensus for climate action is real. The, you know, a lot of us have worked in this space for well over a decade. And the public consensus for that action over the last decade has really come a long way. We are now at a place where the majority of Americans on a bipartisan level support climate action. And I think that has helped push forward what was this once-in-a-generational piece of legislation we'll talk about today. Next slide. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of the legislation uh, and talk about both the policy, the politics, the how, how it's helping to drive technology, how it's helping to bring private sector capital into the market. But isn't, this policy isn't a standalone piece of legislation. It works hand-in-hand with the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was also passed uh, just prior to that. And when you look at these two pieces of legislation together, it is the most con- consequential action we've, we've ever taken on climate, driving public policy and public dollars into everything from electric vehicles to new technologies and manufacturing for solar, for storage, to transportation, energy efficiency, and, and so much more. That's helping to really bring together private dollars, which we'll get into as well. But it's important to also note, the next slide, we have the technology we need to solve this crisis. You know, folks recognize Jimmy Carter standing in front of the White House, and I think many of us in the industry know the story how after uh, the next administration took those panels off the White House. But solar panels aren't a new, uh, a new technology. It's what's happened over the last decade as efficiency has come to the manufacturing side of the market, to the supply chain, to those folks that know how to install and finance, to the policy perspective, getting projects in the ground in states that many thought would never happen. So we have the technology to solve this. And we're going to talk a lot about the increase of the domestic manufacturing, the job opportunities that we're seeing around this technology. And finally, on the finance side, for the next slide, 
each quarter by quarter, we're seeing new players coming into this space. You know, one of the reasons Tom Byrne, Thomas Byrne was on and I started Clean Capital in 2015 was to help bring a better cost of capital in the clean energy space. At that time, it was very much high level private equity that was looking to do projects. Now you have everyone from life insurance companies to pension funds and others who now see climate action not only as a priority, but assets like solar and storage being solid investments. And as a result, we've have over a trillion dollars invested into the energy transition in 2022. We need to continue to hit that pace and not more, if not more, to stay below the two degrees challenge of the climate crisis. We'll talk more about the finance side as well. <clears throat> Go to the next slide. So I want to, as we said, we're here to talk about both policy, technology, and finance. So I want to introduce Alex McDonough. Alex has worked as an advisor uh, an executive and a consultant, both in the clean energy and climate space. He is a, a partner at Pioneer Public Affairs. And prior to that, had been the vice president for policy at Sunrun. And prior to that, I knew Alex when he was working for the Senate Democratic leader, Harry Reid, uh, leading his policy on energy and environment. He and I have worked together a lot with the Clean Energy for America efforts that are helping to drive advocacy on these issues. And Alex, uh, not only is a native of Las Vegas, uh, but lives in Washington, D.C. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and John, I want to give a shout out back to you for being a leader on uh, for the industry and on policy. And also um, for all the folks listening in, um, if you haven't read John's op-ed in the Buffalo News with Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer. It's it's well worth a read and just you know really nails the points that we're trying to 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 make here today about the importance of IRA and and how you know it's just beginning to deliver. Um, exactly. So yeah. Um, so yeah. As as John said, I worked in the the in in the the Senate for Senate Democrats for Senate Democratic Leader Harry Reid for eleven years on his energy and environment policy and spent four years working in the solar industry. Um, and, and now I advise um, uh, advocacy groups and, and, and industry folks on, on, on clean energy and policy and issue campaigns. Also um, um, wanna give a shout out for the, the efforts that John mentioned with Clean Energy for America um, to help organize people working in the, the, the clean energy industry to support things like the IRA. And we also recently launched a political action committee, C4A Action, to give the community a place to engage politically and, 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 and really exercise um, their, their influence and power in a, in a new way. Um, so jumping in, um, it's, it's, Important to, you know, my top point here is the first two years of the Biden administration are history changing for what they are accomplishing on climate and manufacturing. When I worked in Democratic leadership, got to have the opportunity to work hand glove with the Obama White House, and, you know, they got big things done on healthcare, Obamacare, and, but, and, you know, proposed the the climate, um, the 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 clean power plan, but the political door never opened for us to get something done of this scale and this comprehensive. The IRA combined with the bipartisan infrastructure law and the 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 chips and science bill for semiconductor manufacturing will probably be some of the most monumental pieces of manufacturing and climate legislation that we're going to see in our lifetimes. Um, I don't think this is an exaggeration. These bills are already starting to reorient the U.S. economy towards um, towards an industrial policy that, you know, with some some if we're able to protect it, will survive for generations and hopefully be a foundation for us to keep building on. These policies are unique, especially the IRA, because it creates market incentives on both sides of the supply and demand equation for our energy supply chain. So it's matching a scale up of solar batteries, EV deployment, other, other clean energy deployment together with the manufacturing credits to onshore the equipment for those industries. And what we're saying is together, they're both mutually reinforcing drivers for each other. And so we, you know, in the, the effort to lobby and advocate for the IRA, 
Um, there are a lot of you know great talking points used and numbers thrown around about how transformative this would be. And I think we're actually seeing it play out before our eyes, um, which is incredibly exciting. The numbers don't lie. John ran through a few of them that the IRA has already driven 270 clean energy project announcements. Um, digging into those numbers, I, as you can see on this slide, I think it's really important. This is not just a clean energy and climate story. This is a manufacturing story. Around 240 of those projects um, are manufacturing. This is you know, 91 new battery plants, 65 EV plants, 84 solar and wind plants, all manufacturing. It's, um, it's really creating a foundation for a powerful industrial base to scale clean energy deployment on in the future. And, um, in creating, you know, a, a large number of jobs to boot. If you break down the 170,000 new job number between all those announcements, that's around 600 jobs per each plant. Um, some are a lot more, some are, some are less, but these are very significant facilities and, and, and creating an incredible framework for, you know, a, 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 a clean energy economy. Um, if we go to the next slide. So the success is palpable. Um, we're really excited about it, but we have a lot to protect. And um, I, I, you know, don't want to sound dramatic, but I, but this protecting this progress could become policy warfare. The IRA is a political target for for these three reasons. Republicans didn't vote for it. It was passed on a party line vote. Two, it spends a lot of money. Um, although some of that money are um, are, are in the form of tax credits that aren't actual um, outlays from the federal government. And three, it's on the brink of being a breakout success. And I think that that last point is probably the most important because it, it is creating, it makes it a political target, but will be our biggest, um, biggest defense and offense at the same time. The IRA tax credits alone are expected to leverage $1.1 trillion in private investment in clean energy over the next 10 years. I said are expected, but this is my own math. Um, but um, uh, uh, Credit Suisse actually has very similar math, estimating $1.7 trillion in combined private and um, federal investment um, over the, the 10 year time horizon. This is, these are numbers and concentrated investment in both manufacturing, supply chain, and deployment that I, I think were probably pretty much unimaginable five years ago. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, the IRA is going to be especially vulnerable if we have major political leadership change in 2024 before these programs are fully established. So, Implementation is key, deployment is key, and making sure that the story is 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 told about um, uh, about about these these facilities that are supported by the IRA um, are all key. Um, we expect, you know, we're we're seeing some of the 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 GOP attacks on IRA evolve in real time. They'll use China as an excuse to try to put limitations on programs as they're already doing with uh, electric vehicle tax credits. Um, as people get spooked and look for compromises that sacrifice one program over another, we'll see you know, um, the GOP try to exploit any fra fracture among the coalition that supported the IRA in order to chip away at the, the policies. But uh, I think what that reinforces is that we need to look at the IRA as a comprehensive climate policy that's built on an industrial policy framework, and we need to protect it as such. Um, we know it. We know this is possible. We know it'll require vigilance. Um, I've talked to John about this, you know, a number of times. That Obamacare, you know, it was target number one for years after after it was passed in the 2012, the 2014, even the 2016 election cycles. It was front and center, but now it's becoming baked into our health insurance system, and 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 I think it 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 actually provides somewhat of a template for us to know that we can protect these policies, double down on them, and and ensure that they're successful. Um, making me even more optimistic about that that trajectory is that there's been a lot of news about Republican districts getting most of the project dollars. I think you've seen the ranges from. 
just over 50% to 80% of IRA dollars. It's kind of hard to pin down, but they know that these projects are being announced in their districts. We know it and it's a good thing because, but what we really need to, to, to see is that, you know, it doesn't matter politically until the factories are producing and the people in the districts are working there. Announcements don't necessarily protect them, but once these, these facilities are, are in these districts, the folks are employed, it'll be an incredible story to tell. It'll be our best offense. And, and I think we have a pathway to um, um, building on these policies um, in, in years to come. So with that, I'm gonna stop there and pass it back to John. Now, thanks, Alex. And we're going to dive more into the politics of this and what we all need to be doing uh, to keep this fight going a little bit later with Alex. Uh, but next, I'm going to dive into technology. And uh, my good friend, uh, Marta Stoker, Marta and I have been co-conspirators in the climate fight uh, on the communication side uh, prior to when she was QSALES. And she was serving uh, at Climate Power. For those that don't know, Climate Power is a real force in driving the conversation uh, around climate change here at home. But now she's serving as the director of public relations at QCells North America, who have been doing some really incredible stuff uh, here in the U.S. And uh, Marta, I'll turn it over to you. Awesome. Thanks, John. Actually, it was a presentation you gave in the Senate, your Operation Free Group, when I was in the Senate, I think in 2009, when I was like, okay, or maybe 2010, when I said, I'm sold on clean energy. This is absolutely what we need to be doing. It's a national, yeah. So you've been inspiring me for years. Um, So thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to talk about what QCells is doing. I'm looking at Alex's numbers and I'm like, ooh, we're the 2.5 billion of that 270 billion. I love it. So I just want to talk a little bit about what we were doing before and after the Inflation Reduction Act, just to kind of give folks a, a story of like what good industrial policy can do to put clean energy manufacturing into hyperdrive. Uh, So next slide. All right, so we actually have been operating a pretty big solar manufacturing facility starting in 2019. So we opened our doors, 300,000 square foot factory, not a small factory in Dalton, Georgia. Uh, We hired 750 people to build 1.7 gigawatts of solar power in 2019. So to kind of contextualize that a bit more, 1.7 gigawatts of solar is the equivalent of the Hoover Dam for one year of generation. That's a lot of energy. Um, So we got up and running, did really well. So next slide, please. Oh, sorry. Go back. Ah, There we go. Uh, That's our factory in May of 2022. We actually announced you know what, we're doing well, we're going to continue to grow. So we announced another $170 million to expand this footprint. We hired 535 more people. And we also added another 1.4 gigawatts of capacity. So kind of essentially of another Hoover Dam's worth of energy that we were building in this facility back in the day. So we really had an incredible start in Georgia. Um, And we did grow, but it wasn't until the Inflation Reduction Act that we really were able to grow at a faster pace and also to make investments that are historic on a wide range for for a lot of different reasons. So next slide, please. So in January of this year, we made one of the biggest investments, the biggest investment in solar manufacturing to date. And what makes this um, investment so incredibly important is not only are we building solar panels in America. We are the first and only company that is going to be building the entire supply chain in one facility in Georgia. So right now, a majority of these components that are built to go into a solar panel, like Ignat wafers and cells, 80% of those components are manufactured in China. 97% of wafers, which is a really key component to building a solar panel, is made in China. So there isn't a very healthy global clean energy supply chain market for um, companies to rely on, which is why the Inflation Reduction Act was so important, because it allowed us to make an investment as big and bold as this. So $2.5 billion also included an, yet another expansion of our current factory in Dalton. So it's it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's a big deal, people. What can I say? All right, next slide, please. All right, so that's actually the future. That's like a fun, that's what our new factory is going to look like. Come and see it. Um, and so I just kind of want to talk about what this investment does 
on a bigger scale. So first, as I said, this is the only vertically integrated solar supply chain that we'll have in one company that will um, in America. Big, big deal to break some of those monopolies over the supply chain right now. This is going to, we're going to be manufacturing in Georgia 8.4 gigawatts of solar power every year. So 1.3 million homes, a lot of homes. We're going to have 4,000 people working in solar, careers in solar, making these panels every single day. We run 24 hours a day. So we are up and running every single day. And these folks are on the ground making it happen. But also we, it requires construction of these manufacturing facilities. And so there's about 8,500 indirect jobs as a result of this. In terms of climate, climate impact, pretty big impact. So the amount of solar that we are about to make um, is going to be, yeah, almost 10 million metric tons of carbon reduction, huge. And then we will, we are the largest solar manufacturer outside of China. So this is really putting America on the map to be a global competitor for solar. Um, I also want to stress that we are thinking about sustainability as it relates to our footprint. We are a manufacturer. We need energy. Energy requires a lot um, in the back end. And so we are also thinking through how are we making sure our new factories are sustainably, sustainability is at the core of that. So we are making the most energy efficient, sustainable solar panels on the planet. Um, so next slide, please. Get into that a little bit more. So beyond that, we so we announced to do Ignat Wafer and Cell, but one of our affiliates within the Hanwha Group, which is our parent company, we were like, let's even do more. Let's do more of the supply chain. So we also announced that we are going to not just do some of those components, but we're also going to be creating things like solar EVA and backsheet stuff that's like not also really made in America right now. So we're doing a lot of things for the first time as a company and really, really exciting to bring that technology to the United States. Um, so this, this announcement was really exciting because, you know, President Biden tweeted it out, but also this is like the saran wrap of a solar panel. This is like the things that keep it all together, which allows to make our products final. All right, next slide. But it's not just making the products that's important. It's also really working with partners who are thinking innovatively, right? And so we've had some really exciting announcements since the IRA that the IRA helped enable, um, including with Microsoft, 2.5 gigawatt commitment with Microsoft, which is a leader in having uh, corporate goals for reducing carbon. We also work are working with REC Silicon and that uh, that they're one of two companies in America making polysilicon, which is a key component for solar manufacturers who are using polysilicon. And they are ba based in Moses Lake, Washington, and they are largely powered by hydro, which means that our polysilicon, which is one of the most energy intensive parts of a solar panel, will be some of the cleanest polysilicon on the planet going into our panels. This plant shuttered in 2019. It is opening up again this year in November, and we're going to take 100% of their polysilicon starting early next year, and it's opening because we are able to make these bold investments on the supply chain. So they're going to be able to bring 250 people back to work at this plant because of the IRA. And then, of course, we had this really exciting announcement with Summit Ridge Energy, which is a big community solar developer. Community solar, I think the entire community solar that's on the grid right now is maybe five gigawatts. This is 1.2 of gigawatts of community solar in one year. So it's going to be a very big deal in terms of getting our panels into communities that don't have a lot of land or have issues like, like low income communities, energy communities. This just allows us to get solar to those harder reach places. So really exciting partnerships that are helping to kind of continue to move this technology forward in a sustainable way. All right, next slide, please. And of course, this leads to market share. We're doing really well. QCells is number one in the market for commercial and residential. One in three solar panels put on roofs in America is built by us. And that only will grow if we continue to support these policies and make sure that they stay intact and continue to use it as a foundation to build on more of. So just so many exciting things that we've done um, in this last year to really be pushing this technology forward onshore supply chain and uh, create a lot of jobs in the process. And that's what I got. Awesome. Very inspiring, Marta. Super, super exciting stuff. Um, and then finally, I want to dive into finance with my co-founder, Tom Byrne, Thomas Byrne. Tom, uh, talk about inspiring. Tom, so Tom, Thomas's brother-in-law and I served in Iraq together. That's how we met. But Tom has really an amazing track record in 
clean energy, really working on projects very early as a lawyer before going on to serve as a uh, general counsel for True Green Energy and then coming up with the idea of clean capital, which we, we co-founded together in 2015. Tom has taught me about finance and uh, we we're really proud of the, what we built here. I'm going to let him dive into uh, how the IRA is affecting uh, private capital. Tom. Thanks very much, John. Uh, eight years after co-founding Clean Capital with you, thank you for finally inviting me to join one of your webinars. Uh, I finally made it. <laughs> um, it's great to be here with Alex and Martha as well. It's really inspiring. You stuff needed some training, Tom, but you're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the, when, when we look at the IRA, I, I think taking a step back and re recollecting um, the surprise that was the IRA a year ago, um, a lot of us were in the doldrums thinking that there was not going to be uh, a big policy change. Um, and then out came, came the IRA and the momentum started to gain steam. And, and when you started to unpack it, you realized that this, this was such an ambitious uh, bill and, and now law um, that was being proposed that was going to fundamentally transform not just the clean energy economy here in the United States, but the economy more broadly. And Marta touched on a lot of those points, as did Alex, how the manufacturing component of it is such a, such a, such a fundamental part of the IRA. I, I have not in my career seen a policy um, enacted that so fundamentally changed behavior um, that we are now bringing manufacturing into the United States. Um, and that's because there's an adder um, from the IRA. There's all of these adders in the IRA and all of them have a story behind them. We were trying to incentivize LMI communities to be energized by clean energy. Bring domestic content is to bring the manufacturing into the United States and increase the jobs we're trying to reclaim brownfields, which we're doing through BQ Energy, uh, which is one of which is a company that we bought last year. We're trying to reimagine uh, these landfills and these uh, Superfund sites to turn them from dilapidated into clean energy. So the policy is so broad in what it um, in what it and, and so broad in, in its ambitions. Now that is changing not just what we're we're doing as clean energy professionals, but what we're doing as society society more broadly. From a finance perspective, it, the taking a step back to, to to that part of this this conversation, it brings certainty, right? That like we have lived in a world since um, since two thousand five or so, where certainty of finance was absent in our industry. Um, initially, the, the uncertainty of, um, of clean energy as, as a, an asset class um, led, led banks and lenders and investors to steer away from it. It was only, it was reliable, venture capital was the only, the only investor that would participate in the space in the early days. And then gradually, we started to get more banks and more investors to participate from, you know, call it 2010 to 2020. But it was over, overarching all of that. Um, that growth in the finance space was still an uncertain was still uncertainty. There was there was policy. It seemed like every two years we were debating uh, the tax credits and extenders of the tax credits. And um, for so long that was um, that was that that was the story. And then the IRA came and it brought certainty. And it has the tax credits that are in place for an extended period of time. It's predictable, and that's exactly what the finance. Uh, the finance markets um, are, are looking for. So that's, you know, as you take a step back and think about what the IRA did from a finance perspective, it's it brought the certainty. And Clean Capital is building on that certainty. So Clean Capital was started, John and I started this company back in uh, 2016. And we started by investing in small-scale assets. Uh, you could see here where we have uh, grown over time, year after year, we just keep adding more and more assets and we keep evolving. As a company, we, we all are. We, we like to think of ourselves as investors in the clean energy transition. Most of what we do, do historically has been solar, but we're increasingly investing in batteries. We have battery development projects uh, throughout the country. We we have invested more than a billion dollars into clean energy at at this point, with 460 megawatts total. Um, but the the industry has changed a lot um, since we've 
since we founded the company uh, now eight years ago, and we, we have changed with it. Uh, we now look at, uh, we're not just buying small scale solar assets, but we're actually developing assets. We, we have uh, a, a robust development pipeline at Clean Capital that is um, in multiple different states. And we're not just doing, and we're doing small scale solar, we're doing the community solar that Marta was speaking about. We do, uh, we, we do large scale solar, we do batteries. Um, we're trying to be an investor uh, throughout, uh, throughout the sector. Next slide. We're all across the country, we're even in Guam. Uh, we have a, a 37 megawatt asset in, in Guam. What you see here is a, a number of states that, when you think about the, the federal policy that uh, the IRA as a federal tool, there's this, the driver in this at the state level is state policies. And all these states that are shown here, while we have invested in all of them, they are also, not coincidentally, have strong state policies. And so that certainty, again, getting back to the certainty, um, is key to driving uh, clean, clean energy throughout the country. Next slide. When, when you think about bringing finance into, when you think about the IRA, um, the key piece of the IRA is that it's driving more capital into clean energy. Um, the statistics, which some of which are highlighted here, has shown that that we, that has come to pass. The IRA, once we brought the once the policy was was in place, the dollars started to flow into it. A hundred billion dollars in new private sector investments, um, in, in uh, up up from uh, up twenty five percent from the first half of twenty twenty two. So there is serious growth in the money that's coming into the the sector. One key component that I wanted to just touch on um, that I find to be um, one of the more exciting pieces of the IRA, though not yet used in force uh, because it, the rules were just enacted for it, is the transferability provision. So historically, to get uh, tax credits monetized, you would have to bring in an external tax equity investor. Through a complicated transaction, partnership flips and sell leasebacks, and that was a complicated transaction that left a lot of capital on the sidelines. It was only a handful of banks uh, and corporates that were taking advantage of, that were participating in the tax equity market. Um, and, and therefore, it was a very illiquid market. We were relying on about 20 or so, 20 or so tax equity investors. In fact, uh, I, I saw a statistic that JP Morgan and Bank of America comprise 50% of the tax equity dollars historically that have come into the market. And then a, a handful of other tax equity investors comprise the balance of that the other 50%. The transferability provision is really exciting because it now allows, uh, rather than having to invest directly into the project through one of these complicated transactions that usually scare people away, it allows you to now transfer the tax credit uh, and that tax credit could be 30%. If it has some of the adders that we discussed, it could get all the way up to 50% of the total project cost uh, if, uh, can generate tax credits of that amount. You can now take those tax credits and sell them. Um, you can sell them to, for 95 cents on the dollar. So now a lot of investors, a lot of financing parties, a lot of corporates, a lot of the folks who are touting their ESG credentials now have the opportunity to participate seamlessly in the clean energy market. That is a great opportunity. That is, and we're starting to see a burgeoning uh, industry around tax credit transferability. There's, there's, uh, there, there's funds that are starting up to buy tax credits. There's brokers that are starting to emerge to, to broker deals between buyers and sellers of tax credits. So I think this is one area that's um, really exciting um, that should unlock a lot of capital because the amount of capital that's needed to achieve the goals uh, of the IRA, to achieve the goals of the Biden administration on clean capital will not be satisfied, not even close by the old stalwarts in the tax equity market. It's going to be this transferability provision that gets a number of corporates off the sidelines to invest. And there's a, like I said, there's a lot of them touting the importance of climate. There's a lot of them have a lot of companies have made pledges 
a lot of the big Silicon Valley companies have made pledges on climate. And my, I implore them to get off the sidelines because their profits can be turned into tax credit acquisitions, and which is good for them and obviously great for our industry as well. Next slide. Good. So we're going to turn it over to, to John. Uh, all right. To you. Thanks, Thomas. So first of all, if you guys have questions, please, please enter them into the webinar portal. I'm going to drive a few rounds here um, and then moderators are coming in, but I really want to first start looking at implementation. Um, you know, here we are a year into the legislation and it wasn't just the goal line. There's a lot of work that had has to be done around implementation, not just from policymakers, but by companies like QCell. So Marta, a lot of folks on the, the call today in the audience are, uh, are developers, for instance, right? And they're looking at how to access domestic manufactured panels and equipment like you sort of presented What's a realistic timeline for them to be thinking about beginning to access those and getting them into their projects? Yeah, so for us, our factory, we're actually like pouring concrete, I think, this week. Um, and we hope to be up and running in a year or so. So keep in mind, though, we're building components that have never again yet, you know, they haven't been built here in the United States. They're not being built here. Uh, so we will need some time to figure that out, but we hope to be you know, moving forward and providing panels from poly to panel that are domestically sourced and made in America in the next year or so. Awesome. Excellent. And, and Alex, for those that aren't in Washington, you know, the, the policy side of the implementation of the policy side is so critical, whether it be talking about the work that folks at the Department of Treasury and the IRS are doing or Department of Energy deploying uh, dollars into programs or even like Department of Transportation who's looking at things like EV infrastructure, et cetera. You know, last year, the Biden administration brought on John Podesta, who uh, many of us have worked at from an advocacy perspective, but he really truly is a bureaucratic bureaucrat's nightmare because he drives implementation uh, across the agencies. You know, it's a pretty, the, the process can drive folks crazy, but it's so important in terms of getting the rules right. Can you talk a little bit about the process that's sort of underway in Washington and how folks should be thinking about either getting involved or at least paying attention to it? Yeah, so I mean, Podesto is a godsend um, because he just he knows so much about how agencies function. He knows how to use uh, White House to move agencies, and and he understands the process. So I would I would actually say that you know he's he's not necessarily the bureaucrat's nightmare. I think he's actually the bureaucrat's dream because he knows so much and and understands, and he's able to unstuck. Uh, so many of these these things, and this is the time that we we really need that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's a great so way of putting. It. He drives <laughs> he drives them to execute. Uh, yeah, and many more. yeah, exactly. And 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 that experience is in, invaluable, especially because we do know. I, I mean, I think a ton of the the folks on this call and 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 all of us uh, um, have experienced you know, some, the, the anxiety, the frustration about the implementation of various programs and, and credit sitting around waiting for IRA to release guidance. And, you know, you, you talk to the treasury department, weigh in with your comments and, and it's hard to get a meeting and everything, but we also have to put that in the context of what this is, right? This isn't just an, an extension of the investment tax credit for solar or, or the PTC for wind or, or a tweak to an existing program. At best, Treasury has dealt with creating, you know, uh, a, one or two new tax credits, but really they're just kind of modifications of existing programs. With the IRA, this is a whole new animal. They there are bonus credits for as 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 Thomas was talking about. There's a suite of bonus credits and adders that were added. There's hydrogen, there's a storage credit, there are 45X manufacturing production credits, um, there are EV tax credits, there are, there's the greenhouse gas reduction fund. There's a whole bunch of new um, authority for Department of Energy loan guarantees. Um, I can't you know, keep what's straight between the IAJA and the IRA. And so you have you know, a White House that's only has a little bit more staff than it has in previous administrations to keep track of all the agencies. And you have agency staff that had been hollowed out during the Trump administration trying to get on track to implement these programs. So I don't want to say that that 
there haven't been frustrations, but they are implementing programs and 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 provisions at a pace that you know we've never 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 done before, and 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 the results are you know despite these frustrations, we're seeing project announcements. Um, I mean, Marta's examples are incredible. With you know, if you haven't been and visited the Dalton facility, you should. It's incredible, and and their their plans for expanding are really exciting. And that's because, you know, of the, they're, they're looking forward to implementing of, of things like 45X um, and the domestic content bonus credit for manufacturing. So, you know, what I would say just, you know, how, how do you get involved? How do you keep track of all this? You need to be on, on the list for the agencies, the email lists, track them, you participate in the process processes. I, I you be 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 patient with them and recognize that that some of these things are being done incrementally, specifically to do a little bit of trial and error and take your comments. So, uh, and and I'm very tax credit oriented, but if you if you look at how the the administration, the Treasury Department's released these tax credits, they've re- released them in interim guidance with a notice of proposed rulemaking, then they'll do a proposed rule, then they'll finalize that rule. And that gives, uh, gives industry associations and, 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 and advocacy folks to, to weigh in on the process and, and improve it as it goes along. Yeah, just one quick follow-up, Alex, based on a question we got in, you know, the specifically in the tax credits, the direct payment provision for nonprofits uh, it's it's still in the works. Has it not been finalized? Right? Is that correct? Uh, it guidance interim guidance has been released, but then there yeah. is additional guidance uh, uh, the guidance on registering your projects for both uh, direct pay and for transferability. Yeah. So the rules are still being really just finalized, but there's at least some clearance. And I think Tom, this sort of leads to my question for you. You know, as we as it's clean capital is executing on a pipeline, not just for this year, but for for beyond. You know, how do we think about wrestling with some of those uncertainties? You know, one uh, uh, one specific question we got in the Q and A was about transferability and some of the assumptions we have to think about there. Like, how do we how do we manage that uh, within the uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, we, we so with respect to that question on on the market for credits. Um, you know, when we were, when transferability was first born, people thought it would be at least a 10% discount. Um, and I've heard murmurs of, of it being more in, in line with the 95 cents on the dollar. Um, so, but that market will be evolving a lot over the next year and we'll find out where, what the right pricing is on that. It's been a challenge to, on the one hand, make assumptions on a go forward basis a year, two, three years out. Um, um, juxtapose that with like just near term waiting for rules. Like we couldn't make any, we don't know what transferability assumptions to have yet. Uh, two months ago, we didn't even run scenarios on transferability because we didn't know what the rules would say and who could buy, who could sell exactly with precision. So um, there is a bit of, uh, there is a challenge with um, underwriting deals based on IRA um, uh, legislation without the rules in place and that without the markets fully uh, built out. That's just the maturation process we're going to be going through, I'd say, for the next 12 months. And then it will become, again, that, that certainty, then it will be commonplace. Then we'll know what the market for credits are. Uh, we'll build them into our forecasts and then the market will be much more stable. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I do want to, so in this last round of questions, sort of sort of combine the two that, that I shared with the, the panelists. But before doing that, I just want to answer Bruce's question around the state and level, uh, state and local level issues. Uh, you know, beyond a doubt, Bruce, that is a, a absolutely right on question. How are we managing now implementation of this down the state and local level? And there, are, you know, whether it be your local SIA for certain states or groups like Vote Solar, there are ways to get engaged. And depending on the state, you know, it's important for each of us to be part of those conversations at the state capitol, especially if you have footprints in those states, uh, what, what some of the hurdles are. And unfortunately, we're still in a world that energy is a 50-state uh, fiefdom, and we have to play state by state. So making sure that, you know, we can take some of the lessons learned on states that you're seeing accelerated uh, things like storage and bring some of those lessons into the other states. 
Um, you know, looking ahead and, you know, sort of what else needs to happen in the, to really get us to the, the, the goals of this legislation. Alex, I want to talk politics for a second. You know, you mentioned Obama, uh, Obamacare as an example, you know, of something that those that are, you know, the fossil fuel industry funded efforts to undercut this legislation is, is real. The fight is real. You know, you talked about the timeline of some of the uh, uh, implementation that needs not only happening real time right now, but something to take years. So, you know, elections really matter on the things that we care about here. And this legislation isn't rock solid. It is still something we need to continue to fight for. So what can folks on the line do to be part of that fight? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you'll, you'll see in the, the pundit press and, and, and the Capitol Hill newspapers, all this hand-wringing about voters don't know what Inflation Reduction Act is and, and aren't connecting it with, um, uh, with, with the Biden administration or that, you know, that they're, it's, it's not clicking. And I, I kind of, you know, I think it's a, a false narrative. I think that the biggest thing that people can do to um, reinforce these policies and make sure that they're, you know, seen as a as both a policy and political success is is share the stories. Um, uh, Marta and the QCells team are very good at this and generous with. With, with sharing their success. Um, and we need to see as much of that as possible because um, these, these, these programs aren't, you know, they're not designed to be around forever. They're designed to jumpstart and fuel um, both, you know, manufacturing and, and production. And we need to show what they're delivering um, for people in the communities. And that has to happen at at the state level. So, you know, if you're a company either making an investment or a developer um, um, helping helping make sure that that's 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 tran translated to local newspapers, local local government legal leaders, um, these these folks are local advocacy organizations. They're very very influential within their communities, and you know maybe stop stop worrying so much about Washington D.C. Because the communications really start at at the local level. Every member of Congress runs for election in their district. Every senator runs for election in their state, and the president is decided by elections that happen in each individual state. So, um, thinking about it as as really a, a state by state, district by district, local by local project effort, um, I think is 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 really how we we make this thing work politically. Yeah, it's, I, you know, it's, I always like to think of it as you, your voice really matters, and especially at the local level. You know, here in, in Buffalo, a group of us got together around the CRA, which is a, the effort to uh, really go after some of the IRA issues and the solar tariffs this spring. And, you know, we had to educate our member of Congress, who in this case actually happened to be a Democrat, on the, the impact it was going to make here at home. It didn't take a lot of effort. There are groups like Clean Energy for America that can help you on that. But we all need to be champions right now to see, to push this forward. Now, Marta, looking at, you know, this monumental piece of legislation, it's not perfect. There's still more needs to get done. Um, you know, can you think about anything in terms of sort of next steps to help sort of improve the landscape and where we're headed? Yeah, uh, of course, we really want to see some of these adders finalized so we continue to build on our business plans. So yes, we're trying to be patient, but it's really important for us to make um, next steps on any investments. Um, I will say a big thing that we're seeing for us, because we sell panels to people who install them, we also develop our own projects. Um, sales interest rates, they're really high. Um, and that's a huge issue for, I think, low income to moderate income families who want rooftop solar, for example, um, or even big developers who are trying to, to purchase um, panels. So that's an important thing that we, we that needs to be looked at. Um, and then interconnection issues, we need to be able to get these projects online um, so that way more of our panels can be installed. Um, and that is a, a largely a state issue. So I think um, to kind of what you guys were saying, Alex is saying, like SIA, Vote Solar, they do a lot on the state front to really address some of these barriers that exist. Um, it's not all a federal issue. Um, so we really need to do that. And another piece that's really important is thinking about the clean energy economy as a circular economy. 
So we need, we can recycle our panels and we can make more clean energy from those components. So how are we making sure that we're encouraging sustainable practices at the end of life of some of these products? And I think that that has yet to really be touched on from a policy standpoint. Excellent. And, and Thomas, looking at, you know, looking out uh, is, is folks that are financing and investing in this space. You know, I think there's just a lot of excitement about what's going on, but you know, there's still only a handful of players, including clean capital that really know how to do this and, and do this well. You know, how should developers think about working with firms like us uh, to get their projects in the ground? Yeah, the, the challenge has always been developing projects that are ready for the capital markets. And that's both institutional investors, uh, lenders, and tax equity investors, which comprise the entire capital stack of a clean energy project. And getting it from development idea, getting a site lease, that place um, has historically been a, a challenge. Uh, clean Capital, fortunately, we now work intimately with developers. Um, we develop some of our own projects as well. Um, so bringing that institutional approach to clean energy so that it makes it easy for new investors to participate in the clean energy space is sort of key to the, is key to the clean energy transition. You need more, we, we talked about tax credit investors but lenders as well as infrastructure type investors like us uh, to participate in droves, to really drive uh, the ambitions uh, of, of the IRA and, and clean energy policy uh, more broadly. Excellent. Well, thank you so much to each of our panelists for joining today. And thank you for those who uh, listened in and asked questions. We are really excited about the potential of the Inflation Reduction Act and what it can do to help solve the climate crisis and drive our clean energy economy forward. Um, as always, you can reach out to get a recording of this. And this, as we mentioned, this is being recorded as a experts only podcast. So I specifically want to thank our producers, Colin Young, Carly Batten and Cara Prezek for helping to put this together. And we look, you, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. We will be at RE plus in Las Vegas in September so reach out to meet with us. Uh, we'd love to talk about ways to partner and uh, accelerate uh, getting getting projects in the ground. So thanks so much. Thanks everybody for joining. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Mm -hmm.